Section 15 of On Christian Doctrine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. On Christian Doctrine by Augustine of Hippo. Translated by J. F. Shaw. Section 15. Chapter 29. The Knowledge of Tropes is Necessary. Moreover, I would have learned men to know that the authors of our scriptures use all those forms of expression which grammarians call by the Greek name tropes, and use them more freely and in greater variety than people who are unacquainted with the scriptures, and have learnt these figures of speech from other writings, can imagine or believe. Nevertheless, those who know these tropes recognize them in scripture and are very much assisted by their knowledge of them and understanding Scripture. But this is not the place to teach them to the illiterate, lest it might seem that I was teaching grammar. I certainly advise, however, that they be learnt elsewhere, although indeed I have already given that advice above, in the second book, namely where I treated of the necessary knowledge of languages. For the written characters from which grammar itself gets its name are the signs of sounds made by the articulate voices with which we speak. Now of some of these figures of speech we find in Scripture not only examples, which we have of them all, but the very names as well, for instance, allegory, enigma, and parable. However, nearly all these tropes which are said to be learnt as a matter of liberal education are found even in the ordinary speech of men who have learnt no grammar but are content to use the vulgar idiom. For who does not say, So may you flourish? And this is the figure of speech called metaphor. Who does not speak of a fish-pond in which there is no fish, which was not made for fish, and yet gets its name from fish? And this is the figure called catachresis. It would be tedious to go over all the rest in this way, for the speech of the vulgar make use of them all, even of those more curious figures which mean the very opposite of what they say, as, for example, those called irony or antiphrasis. Now in irony we indicate by the tone of voice the meaning we desire to convey, as when we say to a man who is behaving badly, You are doing well. But it is not by the tone of voice that we make an antiphrasis to indicate the opposite of what the words convey, but either the words in which it is expressed are used in the opposite of their etymological sense, as a grove is called lucus from its want of light, or it is customary to use a certain form of expression, although it puts yes for no by a law of contraries, as when we ask in a place for what is not there and get the answer. There is plenty. Or we add words that make it plain we mean the opposite of what we say, as in the expression, Beware of him, for he is a good man. And what illiterate man is there that does not use such expressions, although he knows nothing at all about either the nature or the names of these figures of speech? And yet the knowledge of these is necessary for clearing up the difficulties of Scripture, because when the words taken literally give an absurd meaning, we ought forthwith to inquire whether they may not be used in this or that figurative sense which we are unacquainted with. 
and in this way many obscure passages have had light thrown upon them. Chapter 30 The Rules of Toconius, the Donatist Examined One Toconius, who, although a Donatist himself, has written most triumphantly against the Donatists, and herein showed himself of a most inconsistent disposition, that he was unwilling to give them up altogether, wrote a book which he called the Book of Rules, because in it he laid down seven rules, which are, as it were, keys to open the secrets of Scripture. And of these rules, the first relates to the Lord and His body, the second to the twofold division of the Lord's body, and third to the promises and the law, fourth to species and genus, the fifth to times, the sixth to recapitulation, the seventh to the devil and his body. Now these rules, as expounded by their author, do indeed, when carefully considered, afford considerable assistance in penetrating the secrets of the sacred writings. But still they do not explain all the different passages, for there are several other methods required, which are so far from being embraced in this number of seven, that the author himself explains many obscure passages without using any of his rules. Finding indeed that there was no need for them, and there was no difficulty in the passage of the kind to which the rules apply. As for example, he inquires what we are to understand in the Apocalypse by the seven angels of the churches to whom John is commanded to write, and after much and various reasoning, arrives at the conclusion that the angels are the churches themselves. And throughout this long and full discussion, although the matter inquired into is certainly very obscure, no use whatever is made of the rules. This is enough for an example, for it would be too tedious and troublesome to collect all the passages in the canonical scriptures, which present obscurities of such a kind as require none of these seven rules for their elucidation. The author himself, however, when commending these rules, attributes so much value to them that it would appear as if, when they were thoroughly known and duly applied, we should be able to interpret all the obscure passages in the law, that is, in the sacred books. For he thus commences this very book. Of all the things that occur to me, I consider none so necessary as to write a little book of rules, and as it were, to make keys for, and put windows in, the secret places of the law. For there are certain mystical rules which hold the key to the secret recesses of the whole law, and render visible the treasures of truth that are to many invisible. And if this system of rules be received, as I communicate it, without jealousy, what is shut shall be laid open, and what is obscure shall be elucidated, so that a man traveling through the vast forest of prophecy shall, if he follow these rules as pathways of light, be preserved from going astray. Now if he had said, there are certain mystical rules which hold the key to some of the secrets of the law, or even which hold the key to the great secrets of the law, and not what he does say, the secret recesses of the whole law. And if he had not said, What is shut shall be laid open, but many things that are shut shall be laid open, he would have said what was true, and he would not, by attributing more than is warranted by the facts to this very elaborate and useful work, have led the reader into false expectations. And I have thought it right to say thus much, 
in order both that the book may be read by the studious, for it is of very great assistance in understanding Scripture, and that no more may be expected from it than it really contains. Certainly, it must be read with caution, not only on account of the errors into which the author falls as a man, but chiefly on account of the heresies which he advances as a Donatist. And now I shall briefly indicate what these seven rules teach or advise. Chapter 31 The First Rule of Tychonius The first is about the Lord and His body, and it is this, that, knowing as we do that the head and the body, that is, Christ and His church, are sometimes indicated to us under one person, for it is not in vain that it is said to believers, Ye, then, are Abraham's seed when there is but one seed of Abraham, and that is Christ. We need not be in a difficulty when a transition is made from the head to the body or from the body to the head, and yet no change made in the person spoken of. For a single person is represented as saying, He hath decked me as a bridegroom with ornaments, and adorned me as a bride with jewels. And yet it is, of course, a matter for interpretation which of these two refers to the head and which to the body, that is, which to Christ and which to the church. Chapter 32 The Second Rule of Tychonius The second rule is about the twofold division of the body of the Lord. But this indeed is not a suitable name, for that is really no part of the body of Christ, which will not be with him in eternity. We ought, therefore, to say that the rule is about the true and the mixed body of the Lord, or the true and the counterfeit, or some such name, because, not to speak of eternity, hypocrites cannot even now be said to be in him, although they seem to be in his church. And hence his rule might be designated thus, Concerning the mixed church. Now this rule requires the reader to be on his guard when Scripture although it has now come to address or speak of a different set of persons, seems to be addressing and speaking of the same persons as before, just as if both sets constituted one body in consequence of their being, for the time united in a common participation of the sacraments. An example of this is that passage in the Song of Solomon, I am black, but comely, as the tents of Kadar, as the curtains of Solomon. For it is not said, I was black as the tents of Kedar, but am now comely as the curtains of Solomon. The church declares itself to be at present both, and this because the good fish and the bad are for the time mixed up in the one net. For the tents of Kedar pertain to Ishmael, who shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. And in the same way, when God says of the good part of the church, I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them, and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them, and not forsake them. He immediately adds in regard to the other part, the bad that is mixed with the good. They shall be turned back. Now these words refer to a set of persons altogether different from the former. But as the two sets are for the present united in one body, he speaks as if there were no change in the subject of the sentence. They will not, however, 
always be in one body, for one of them is that wicked servant of whom we are told in the gospel, whose Lord, when he comes, shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. Chapter 33 The Third Rule of Tychonius The third rule relates to the promises and the law, and may be designated in other terms as relating to the spirit and the letter, which is the same I made use of when writing a book on this subject. It may be also named of grace and the law. This, however, seems to me to be a great question in itself, rather than a rule to be applied to the solution of other questions. It was the want of clear views on this question that originated, or at least greatly aggravated, the Pelagian heresy. And the efforts of Tychonius to clear up this point were good, but not complete. For in discussing the question about faith and works, he said that works were given us by God as a reward for faith, but that faith itself was so far our own that it did not come to us from God, not keeping in mind the saying of the Apostle, Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But he had not come into contact with this heresy, which has arisen in our time, and has given us much labor and trouble in defending against it the grace of God, which is through our Lord Jesus Christ, and which, according to the saying of the Apostle, there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you, has made us much more watchful and diligent to discover in Scripture what escaped Tychonius, who, having no enemy to guard against, was less attentive and anxious on this point, namely, that even faith itself is the gift of him who hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Whence it is said to certain believers, Unto you it is given, in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Who, then, can doubt that each of these is the gift of God, when he learns from this passage and believes that each of them is given? There are many other testimonies besides which prove this, but I am not now treating of this doctrine. I have, however, dealt with it, one place or another, very frequently. End of section 15